0: Hi, I'm Greg, creator of opportunities.
1: And I'm Polly, princess of prevention.
0: And welcome to another edition of Totally Preventable.
1: Greg, I'm looking hip today. My girls talked me into buying these pants. Mm-hmm. They're called rib cage. Mm-hmm. They are to get out of the mom fit. Okay. So, but I put them on this morning and I was like, oh, I don't know. And Jeremy said, I look like a brats doll turning 50.
0: Wow! Wow! He went there. He did. <laughs> wow.
1: He asked me if I was going to take my my deck to work today because I look like Avril Lavigne or a wow. skater girl. Wow. <laughs> See you later. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I should have said. <laughs>
0: well, yeah. it's funny that you say that because you know, um, being on Zoom, I heard an article that eighty percent of the people who are on Zoom are staring at themselves throughout the whole Zoom. Mm-hmm. Just staring at themselves. Me, myself, I like to play a game like who's home, who's at the office, yeah, and trying to figure out if it's a real background or not a real background. Yep. Yeah. So what do you do you stare at the
1: screen? Um, I stare at everybody. Um, I toggle around, look at everybody, see who's sleeping in a meeting. <laughs> um, Yep. I do look at myself, make sure that like, I don't have anything out of place, but I try not to focus on that because Mm -hmm. you can really like nitpick yourself apart where I don't think anyone else is noticing these, those things. But um, I do like to look to make sure I look somewhat professional. I've been in meetings where people are really slumped on a couch or I've even been in meetings where people have taken them while laying in their bed or, uh, and (laughs) I didn't like the way that looked for them. So I I certainly don't want people looking at me.
0: Well, that's how Zoom, how this all ties in is that's how I met our next guest, Jonathan. Um, We were on a a Zoom call, not to say that we weren't engaged in the Zoom because we all were, we were paying attention, but then a message came up. It was an introduction and then We've been just corresponding uh, since then. He's a real down-to-earth guy, has a great story, and uh, I'm sure our listeners are really going to enjoy
1: it. A great background. Too.
0: Great background.
1: Yeah. I meant Zoom background. Was his background
0: right now? I think he was, I, I think I voted. It was his home, but I think he was, I'm pretty sure he was at the office. All right. Mm-hmm. You know, it was yeah. that. I should have penned so I could have blew it up, but memory serves me. I, I didn't pin it, and I just went for. I guess.
1: All right. Well, we'll see what kind of background he has today. All right. Hi. In our last episode, we sat down with Lori Kosicki to discuss peer recovery and the incredible resources that are offered at Hope Recovery Center. Today, we are joined by Jonathan Sullivan, manager of the Newport Hope Recovery Center office and a peer recovery specialist. Welcome, Jonathan.
2: Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Appreciate you having me. Right. Can you can you tell us a
0: little more about your role at the Hope Recovery Center and and how you got into that
2: field? Yeah, so um, my role here as a manager is to oversee uh, the recovery center in general and supervise the CPRS staff and the interns uh, that we have from the certified peer recovery specialist training at Parent Support Network, which is our parent company. Um, and that's located in Warwick. Um, so I oversee that. Uh, we come up with a calendar of of groups for the month. Each month, I work with the peer recovery specialists and the members here to you know get their input and see what they like for groups. Um, throughout the week, we do have our our standard groups, which are things like smart recovery, all recovery. Um, We have an army group, which we don't do actively in this center, Um, but we come up with with fun groups, uh, peer-based groups uh, with a lot of input from them. We have things like reflective journaling. Um, We have things like inspirational intentions where we set our intentions for the week or for the day. Uh, We also go upstairs. We're located in the the basement of 50 Washington Square, which contains the residents of 50 Washington Square as well as the McKinney shelter. Um, so we go upstairs into the residence. Uh, there's a cafeteria there. We show up at nine o'clock every morning with coffee and treats, whether it be muffins or donuts. Um, and we have, a, we have pretty much a check-in. So that started off to be a daily intentions group uh, where we sit down and you know hold each other accountable. We'd have our members be able to hold themselves accountable as far as uh, their personal plans, uh, doctor's appointments or things that, you know, sometimes are not the easiest to to maintain. Um, So we, in place of that, when COVID hit, we couldn't have anyone down in the center. We could only do one-on-ones. There's not enough space in the center to keep everyone socially distant. Um, So we decided to start going upstairs, uh, which was a perfect for us uh, because we're, we're new back in the center, we were here prior to COVID Um, but the residents here, you know, really value consistency and, you know, we had to move in and earn trust slowly. Um, So to go into their space and make ourselves available has been a really, really beneficial way to, you know, garner that trust and that consistency to let them know who we are and what we do and, you know, let them know that recovery doesn't have to be, you know, I'm an alcoholic or I have an alcohol problem or I'm a drug addict or I have a substance use disorder. Um, recovery is from anything that you're recovering from. Um, we deal with a lot of people, it's a wet shelter. So we deal with a lot of people that have substance use disorder, as well as mental mental health, um, mental health issues, um, which is also something that we recover from. Um, so it's been really, really beneficial feel really fortunate to be a part of of this whole building um, and to work directly with this population which I'm pretty accustomed to um, okay. one one quick question you said a wet did you say a wet shelter a wet shelter what, what um, meaning, that that? meaning that meaning that people do use substances and and stay here um, at the same time thanks
1: and would you mind just Quickly explaining a peer recovery specialist for anyone who didn't catch Lori's episode or just doesn't know.
2: Yes, so certified peer recovery specialist, uh, which I am, is someone that's gone through the 46-hour training at Parent Support Network. We have a 70-hour dual training, which um, leads to being a certified peer recovery specialist slash certified community health worker. Um, And we are people who have been through the training and have lived experience and time in recovery, at least uh, two years in recovery. So we're people, and we're not clinical, um, but we are people that can be in the community, that can, you know, be a source of inspiration, um, be a source of support, Uh, we can assist, um, and we have the understanding, people identify directly with us. Thank do, you. do you think that lived experience helps in that field? I think it's everything. I, I'm I'm sure it's everything. Being a person in recovery, myself, um, I've been in I've been in recovery for a long time, over 20 years. Um, however, I've been in uninterrupted com- uh, recovery, coming up on 11 years in May. Um, but it, it's taken a long time, and I've seen a lot of treatment centers. I've seen a lot of facilities and detoxes and um outpatient and I have worked with people who are in recovery themselves and I have had counselors that have not been in recovery themselves. Um, and it was very hard to to have that feeling as if they they really understand. Because they could hear and they could see and they could, you know, everything from the outside. But I don't believe unless you've really been there yourself, you can truly understand that that thing that goes on inside of people with substance use disorder.
1: Well, congratulations on your 11 years. That's amazing. Thank
2: you very much. Thank you very much. (laughs) Congrats, congrats.
1: Um, What do you think your most rewarding, the most rewarding aspect of your job is?
2: Uh, Being able to wake up every day and come to work, and know that I'm doing something that is worthwhile. I'm doing, I'm returning the gift that was given to me.
1: Uh, Mm -hmm. When I got
2: recovered, um, you know, it was by the grace of God. And I'll say the grace of God, and may that be whatever God I believe in. Um, But it's the ultimate form of of repaying him every day. You know, as a person in recovery, that's what I do in general. Um, But to be able to do that, for my job as well is, is something that's immeasurable.
0: Very admirable, thank
2: you. Thank you. Uh,
0: now, Jonathan, a new study from the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. Uh, they found that alcohol related deaths in 2020 were, were so high that six, for 16 to 64 year olds, they exceeded the number of deaths from COVID-19. Previously, the average annual increase was a little more than 2%. So between 2019 and 2020, it skyrocketed to more than 20 percent. What are
2: your thoughts on that? I read that, and um that's very interesting. And between 2000 and what and 2020, 2019, 2020? Yeah. And that was that's when we went into the pandemic, right? Right. I saw from my little world being being quarantined, um, you know, through social media, and that was pretty much the only way we could we could stay connected. Um, and as a person in recovery, from everything going in in, to, in person, to Zoom, which thank thank the good Lord for Zoom, um, to stay connected. It was like everyone was on vacation. How do we go through this? You know, people even without substance use disorder, how do you go through this? You you go on your social media and you see people. It's five o'clock somewhere. Um, you know, the liquor store is open. There's not much, there's not much to do. Um, it's a blessing. You have all that time with your family, but it can also be, <laughs> it can also be hard. Um, I really felt for people that were alone that didn't have the family, um, but had to be you know, in quarantine by themselves without any human connection, um, the lack of supports, uh, for people with mental health issues, um, the whole thing from going in person and being able to see a doctor to having to do telehealth visits, um, people that already have already have issues. Um, to put someone alone um, that's already in a depressive state is, is very depressive. Um, alcohol is also depressing. Um, I'm very interested to see how alcohol is so broad when it comes to death. There's so this, it's so broad. There's there's accidents. There's mental health. There's suicide. There's actual health, uh, physical health problems. So it's so broad the way that you know people lose their lives due to alcohol use. Uh, so I'm interested to see where where it's broken down or how it's broken down. But I have a, I have a little suspicion a lot has to do with mental health, too. Alcohol and mental health issues and not having the supports. You put that all in a pot and that's, that's not a good, that's a recipe for not very good. I'll just put it that way.
1: We did see a lot of people um, turning to alcohol to cope with being in isolation. And um, we're, we're worried about kids watching their um, parents turn to alcohol to cope. Um, and see what what happens with that. But we also noticed during the pandemic that only not um all non-essential businesses had to close. Um, mm-hmm. but liquor stores remained open. Um, do you think that may have had some some um, some cause for the increase in alcohol use during the pandemic?
2: Yeah, I had um. I remember noticing that. I was like, well, the liquor stores aren't closed. And as people in recovery, you know, I go to meetings and meetings on Zoom and, you know, we hold the people that are new in recovery. There was a lot of people that, that recovered during the during the pandemic, which was, you know, something that people have been in, in recovery. We talk about, it and it's like, we give you so much credit because I don't know if I could have done it at that time. I needed people. I needed the the love that's given, I needed you know human human connection, human interaction um, so i give a I give a huge amount of credit to those people, but I did notice that that the liquor stores stayed open um, and i actually i wasn't surprised i think in in society today it <laughs> it's essential, and we need to we need the economy has to go i mean we were running on bare bones already um, so. In that way, I see it. I don't see how they would. I remember having to go to Walmart or Target, you know, and we'd have to make a trip of it because we were just in that situation. And that was our only form of getting out of the house, They're our only way to get out of the house. Um, so I'm I'm definitely not surprised.
0: And now that, uh, you know, going along with the pandemic, now that people feel more comfortable going out, you know, and bars are open inside and outside. What advice do you have for people who,
2: who might be dealing with, with alcohol addiction? I don't think I have any like specific advice to, to those people um, or to the people because of the situation. I mean, any advice I would have for anyone who, who feels that they may have a problem with alcohol use is that I would ask them to think about. People usually, without a um, without an alcohol problem, don't consider the fact that they have an alcohol problem. Hmm. So I would suggest that you take that thought very seriously and do some um, do some a very honest appraisal. Uh, that's what led me to led me to recovery. It was when I finally got 100% honest with myself and said something's got to give, and then gave an honest uh, 100% honest effort to to try recovery.
1: Um, Thanks for that. Um, What role do you think stigma plays in um, helping people get into recovery or people feeling comfortable going into recovery?
2: I think it plays a huge role. I think stigma is everything and everywhere. And the last thing that people want to feel is less than. Um, And alcohol abuse or substance use disorder or anything of that nature um, is looked at as as less than or you can't do or you know there's a big there's a big stigma that says if you have substance use disorder it's a moral failing um you have a weak will you should just stop you should just this you should just that um but it's not like that it's it's an actual disease and an actual disorder um and it needs actual treatment, um as far as I'm concerned, uh, from what I've seen in my own personal experience um, with people and myself um so I think it plays a huge role. I think that I can give you one example, and it's it's when I started working um, I started working at an at an upscale hotel um and I come from the restaurant industry and i didn't want to go back to the when I got into recovery I didn't want to go back into the restaurants because of the environment um so I chose very well something where that was off the beaten path somewhere that was upscale and I decided that I would start with just a uh, breakfast and lunch so that I would be out of the out of the nighttime affairs and the bar scene and in the whole thing so I did that and I'm pretty good at my job so I I moved ahead kind of quickly and I started doing the weddings and I started they started asking me to work in the in the uh, formal dining room, which is at night. And before you know it, I'm working around the clock and then my recovery is lacking. I'm not able to handle my recovery and my supports. So I had to go tell my boss that it was getting in the way of my recovery and without my recovery, I wasn't gonna be able to work there. Um, I would I would be doomed. So that was very, very difficult. Um, just knowing that I have to bring myself out to my boss and say that, listen, I have a a problem with alcohol, and I'm in recovery. um, And I can't work what you'd like me to work uh, because I have to take care of that. Um, I know the stigma. I didn't want to be judged. I didn't know if I was going to lose my job. I didn't know if he was going to tell his boss and I was going to be looked at as as less than. You know, it's very shaky. and that stigma right there built in. Um, it's built into the system, built into society. Um, but what came out of that was a supervisor position and accommodation of my recovery. Um, and then I, I kept moving up from there. And when people had a problem, if we had employees with a problem, they would send them to me and, and you know, I could be of assistance that way. Um, wow. So I was always a, just a walking example of recovery, you know?
0: That was great, that's that was great. great. Yeah. Um, in, in certain communities there me, there are often uh, obstacles that we run in um, social norms uh, beliefs, uh, whether they're you know passed down family family generation generation or even through the churches. What are some obstacles that you've noticed in the in recovery for the black and brown communities?
2: Um, I have first thing that comes to mind when I hear that question is resources. Um, What resources we have, what education we have. Um, You can see the difference in, you know, the beds that are provided for people without insurance, um, or the people that without insurance, as opposed to people with insurance, Uh, you could tell the, the the centers or or resources in general that are available to people in the Black and Brown community. Um, Another big one uh, that I think of is a face, is being a face. Um, You know, having lived in in Black and Brown communities and non-Black and Brown communities, you know, I see the difference in when I go to wherever I go to take care of my recovery, I notice that I'm one of few. people of color in those rooms um i think in the community you know you you said it uh that you know it's a systemic thing and you know being raised with you know a lot of pride um what we're given instead of instead of i don't want to get into the whole systemic thing um i think that's another that's a whole another issue but I would like to see more black and brown faces in the community that are faces of recovery um, that show people that it's okay to give up that, to win this, to give up the substances, to win at life. I gave up one thing or a couple of things. I'll just uh, wrap it into substances. I gave up substances and I got my whole life. Gave millions of things, you know? And if I pick up substances again, I'm gonna lose everything. And I know that. So um, it's a small thing, but it's a large thing. And it takes a lot of work. I mean, it's not difficult work, but it, it's a lot of work. And it's uh it's a beautiful thing. But um I think obstacles are you know going to going to treatment and not seeing people that look like you um don't sound like you, uh, don't represent you. Um it's hard to say, oh yeah, I'm like that too, because that's what you see. Um, for me, I was very fortunate and I spent a lot of years doing that. I I would go in and I wouldn't see what looked like me or what sounded like me. And I immediately thought they don't understand until I got hundred percent honest with myself. Um, and I was, I was beaten into a very submissive state where I didn't care what you were, what you looked like, or what you sounded like. I knew I needed help, and and I knew you were offering help, and I, I just said, okay, I'll take it. Um, and that's when it opened up for me. But it's a big barrier. It took a long time for that to happen. It took a long time for that to happen. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Um,
1: there's a lot of people out there that um, don't understand mental health, even just as, everybody has mental health and everyone should work on good mental health. Mm -hmm. So how do you describe the importance of mental health and recovery and better mental health and recovery to people or communities that don't understand that?
2: Um, I think mental health is very broad. And I think people put mental health into, into a box. Lately, it's been actually kind of trendy. And I do want to say to the previous uh, the previous thing we were talking about about barriers, people of color. Um, there was a lot more to it than just color that was keeping me from from being in the rooms. It wasn't solely it wasn't solely that. Um, but to the mental health point, I think that you know we put it into a box into these big things. Um, you know, but we don't look at everything involving mental health, which is pretty broad. And if we do open the open the box of mental health, we'll notice that, you know, if you have ten people in a room, you nine or even ten people will will realize that they have some um, barriers or some familiarity with with mental health issues, um, from ADD to ADHD to anxiety to depression to, you know, it doesn't have to be a schizoid effective or, you know, it doesn't have to be that big. There are a lot of of things that, you know, we use as a society to cope with our mental health. And a big one of those is alcohol. Um, Substances are are a big part of it. For me, that was my medicine. Um, A lot of people suffer trauma they don't know that they they deal with PTSD. Um, they don't know that you know a lot of our society. At least for me, I can speak to my for myself, um, saying that I was societally taught uh, growing up to stuff things down mm-hmm. and keep them down, and to keep this wall up and to say it's okay, everything's okay, and not talk about my feelings, um, which is a buildup, and it's a buildup, and it's a buildup. Um, and it affects our mental health, um, that's another That's another thing. But it's it's very, very broad. And I really appreciate the broadening of awareness of mental health. I hear it um, in our black and brown communities. I hear it on podcasts. I'm hearing it in, in hip hop and rap music. I'm seeing it on social media. Um, it's becoming a thing. Um, and even if it's just surface right now, even if it's uh, just trendy, it gives that opportunity for people to to dig a little deeper and if 10 people are talking about it and four people are digging deep then underneath those four people you know it's going to grow even larger so you know i i really love to talk about mental health um and the awareness that it's getting
0: well thank you thank you i I'm, i know in a lot of communities what you're saying really really resonates but it's it could be be double for men who are taught, you know, don't cry or, you know, don't show your, your true emotions. And then you add that to that generational, you know, stuff it down, stuff it down, put up that wall. It's a lot of burden that people are carrying around with you. So thank you. Thank you very much for, for bringing that up.
2: Absolutely. And we can speak about abroad, but I, I tend to just speak from my own, my own personal experience and, you know, right. So For people listening,
0: tell us, you know, how do we get, um, how do they get in touch with you? How, You know, what's the website?
2: Tell us a little bit about uh,
0: connecting with Hope Recovery.
2: So we are located at 50 Washington Square in Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, We have a center in Middletown at 294 uh, Valley Road in Middletown. Uh, We also have a site in Westerly. So, we are all across the state. Our parent company is Parent Support Network of Rhode Island uh, with a headquarters in Warwick. We have many programs, many, many programs involving uh, recovery and helping families and families and youth, uh, people with substance use disorder, and people that are in recovery from whatever they're in recovery for. Um, When you say you're in recovery, you are in recovery. You can locate us here. You can give us a call at 401-324-5626. More than likely myself or my lead CPRS named Diane will be picking up the phone. Um, You can go to PSNRI.org. You can see Parent Support Network and it will bring you to Hope Recovery Center as well. Excellent.
1: Thank you so much, Jonathan, for joining us.
2: Oh, my pleasure. One moment, please.
1: I think Jonathan's preparing to lead us out in song. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, Jonathan, we're ready us out. Thank
2: you very much. <laughs> I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to be a part of this. Great harmony. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Thank gentlemen. you. You have a
2: great day. Oh, it was my pleasure and thank you. Y'all too.